Welcome to the Influential Nonprofit, the show for nonprofit leaders to grow their influence so they can grow their income and impact. Now, here's your host, Marianne Dersh. 111 people on the call. What? And then I'm going to toss out a question that you don't know. And then we're just going to go from there. So um, (laughs) Sherry Quam Taylor teaches nonprofit CEOs and their teams how to break free from traditional fundraising models and activities that limit growth and never secure enough money to fulfill their organization's vision. She helps teams become less dependent on program, government, and event gifts by helping them learn how to secure large investment level donations from individuals. The coup de gras, the, the catalog. That's what we all want. Fun. Right, that's that is, want. that's what we all want. <laughs> and the leaders she works with are high-performing experts in their field, but desire an overall financing model that will truly scale their organization's impact, give them a larger amount of unrestricted funding for overhead. Woohoo! The angels just parted. Like that's the my favorite like, word. We'll talk about that. Unrestricted <laughs> funds, yes. Like like every time you say it, like, like an angel gets its wings, you know? Yes. And she helps them learn the exact steps to pivot into a mid and major level gift program that feels comfortable, empowers their advancement team, and fully funds their mission for the long haul. She does this nationally through private one-on-one coaching. The interesting thing about your bio is you didn't say anything about like where you went to school, what you did. (laughs) No. No, it's like all value-based, right? Like, here's how I help people which is awesome. So thank you. Besides that lovely bio, what's something you're incredibly proud of yet rarely have the chance to brag about? That's everyone's opening question. Just so you know. Oh my goodness. Um, you know, I think, uh, can this be a personal thing or professional? Can it can it be? be whatever you want, you know, and I, I guess we share a little bit of this, uh, Marianne. So I'll go a little personal on this, but what I'm really proud of is my journey to motherhood. I am the mom of two teenage girls and I've been their mom for a little over five years through international adoption. And um, I'm really proud that I'm focused on raising leaders and I really try to give them kind of access into seeing me grow my business and hearing, you know, where I'm having challenges and also celebrating my wins with them. And I just feel like uh, I'm really proud that I'm I'm parenting them to be leaders and I'm parenting them to be CEOs. Nice. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And it's been fun. It's been, you know, they, we just started hybrid last week. Oh. So um, they've heard me run my business in the next room, you know, because I don't have a door on my office for a whole year. And so while there's stresses of, you know, us all working from home and my husband too, there's, there's perks of them saying, Hey, why do you, I heard, I heard you're talking about this or right. um, it's just open all these conversations that maybe I wouldn't have ever exposed them to. So I'm going to take that as a win. I, yeah, I would too. I, I love that. You know, my, my middle son, he's what I would call contentious. And, um, um, <laughs> you know, when he has this little like yard power washing business and, and, you know, he watches me, he sees me, you know, what, what I'm doing and, you know, he's, and I think it's good. They're paying attention. Yes. Wonderful. I even had my uh, 14 year old host a couple of my webinars, you know, she's in the background, letting people in, you know, welcoming. (laughs) And I'm thinking, I wouldn't have done this. Well, maybe she was 13 at the time, but you know, it's just like, what other skills are you going to have that like, I wouldn't have dreamt of having at your age. So, um, 
this kind of, she wants a cut, you know, of, of the work I <laughs> yeah. got from the webinar. I'm but. Sure, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's just talk about, Good. you know, the title of this. I, I want to start with what, well, I mean, the why is pretty obvious, but I, I want to start with the why of, because the title of your talk is like mm-hmm. when you've been raising the same amount of money for years. So yeah. why do organizations just tend to plateau and just raise the same amount of money, probably mm-hmm. despite the best of intentions and the best efforts of people, development, leadership board, you know, why does that happen? Right. And this is a huge reason why people come to me, right? It's like, well, we've, uh, somebody said recently to me, well, we're, well, at least we're consistent. Like we kind of just raise $4 million every year. And I'm like, okay, A plus for consistency. But that, you know, kind of repetition of people coming to me for that has really caused me to, to study that, which is which is super fun for me. And so I have really boiled it down to, to three main reasons. And I'm happy to talk through all of them or, or half of them or some of them. The first one being, and I know we're talking fundraising, but these impact revenue generation. First one being my favorite word, overhead. When we've been in scarcity zone for too long, when we have bought into all the misconceptions that we're going to leave in in the past as we we you know we had to keep moving into 2021, which is you know most money should go to program or or like extreme percentages I should say. Um, we shouldn't have giant reserves. Um, we really got to watch those percentages on admin and fundraising and and really almost having that percentage conversation be a real scary conversation. And it's almost like handcuffs um, that, that's keeping us from growing. And so when somebody comes to me and says, we're, spent, we're, we're making the same amount of money every year, I go straight to expenses because I can tell them why they've plateaued typically because they're not spending enough on admin and fundraising to get more gasoline in the engine that then helps them raise money. And guess what? Spend more money on program. And so overhead. What you're hearing is they're afraid to spend more money or they're reluctant to because then the overhead, and then we don't want to say we have high overhead. ah, And, um, and so they kind of, they get stuck in that belief system that, you know, you have to, and the overhead myth, and you know that's a big, a big thing. But it is; it all feeds into this idea of scarcity, right? And what I talk about is like, oh, we have to sacrifice ourselves so others can have. So we have to strangle our infrastructure, our you know, underpay our team and everything so that others can have. When actually, it's just the opposite, right? Yeah. When we invest 100%. in ourselves, invest in our people, then that flows out right on to the others. You're speaking my language. I know, right? That's why you're here. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do this. I I always tell people, I was like, I've gotten on my overhead soapbox a few times on LinkedIn this past 18 months. So hop on over and (laughs) see my soapbox over there. But this whole concept that we knew it didn't work before 2020, like we all knew this, but like 2020 has uh, smacked us all across the face and said, okay, you're, you're right. Like we should be able to do more on less. We should be able to scale our businesses on less, you know, keep bringing in more money on less. And that's been the opposite of what we needed in 2020. We needed high amounts of unrestricted revenue so that we could move into all the emergency activities that we needed nonprofits to move into. We needed a strong reserve 
this whole, uh, oh, that funder is not going to fund me if I have more than three months reserve in the bank. That's bonkers, right? That is, you know, <laughs> we should have nine months, 12 months in reserve, right? Because that's running a good business. And so all of these misconceptions that we've kind of heard people's comments that frankly, a lot of times are uneducated comments, whether it's from your board member who says, we can't spend that, that will hurt our percentages. Or if it's just from what we've been taught all along, it is time to leave that in the past because when have we ever needed nonprofits more? When have we ever needed to support support the work more? And so my coaching to leaders is always, we need to be able to sit at the table and say, that's a great question as to why I have a nine-month reserve. Let me talk you through it. And that that investment level donor is going to understand you're running a good business. And guess what? They got money in the bank too. And that that these types of things actually help you grow your revenue, make you stronger, and really, and obviously grow your mission so that you can put more money back into programs. Mm-hmm. So the overhead thing is a huge thing that causes organizations plateau do you want me to talk about the other two now Mary, yeah let's do it, it real quick okay. let's talk about the other two so i'll be quick with it so the second one is how you're budgeting it's always funny it's like why are we starting with budgeting sherry when i when i start working with people because so often we are budgeting in that back to my scarcity comment well here's what we need to squeak by well we at least need this much or this mm-hmm. is what we have pledged I like to know that number, don't get me wrong, but we've got to put together a budget that actually represents what we need. And why do we need to do that? Because if we're always in like, well, we're gonna try to hit that number versus the number we really need, how would we ever create a true financing plan or funding model or fundraising plan that actually helps us hit that number if we don't know what the number is? So I'm gonna tell you 99% of the organizations who come to me are not fully funded and are not scaling because their approach to budgeting, which Mm -hmm. is tied to that overhead, Mm -hmm. you know, like the the mindset of investing, the mindset of growth and your willingness to say, I don't know where that money's coming in, but I I need it. So I'm going to budget to it. Yeah. The the growth mindset is, you know, it's, so I have a saying, it's like leap and the net will appear, right? Like, so that's how, that's how we grow. You, you gotta just, there's a point where you have to leap, and I guarantee you the net will be there instead of people say, okay, show me the net and then I'll jump. Right. And that's, that's really, that's like, that's, it's hardly ever really possible to be able to yeah. do that. So I, I, I love what you're saying. And I think it makes so much sense. Like I've seen in my career in marketing and they, they invest so little, just mm-hmm. the minimum and they, and it, they're not making any impact with that. Right. And now it's frustrating and they feel like, you know, there just wasn't enough investment to really move the needle around whatever marketing goal that they had. And it's sort of like open toilet, put money in and flush. You might as well just have saved it, you know, because it really wasn't going to do anything. So I see like all these tiny, like this, the barest minimum we could get away with. That's their budgeting. All right. So what's the third one? Third one is, you know, a lot of, which is the best part of my job, a lot of leaders who are fundraisers, obviously CEOs, executive directors, they're mission experts, right? Like you've gotten into this because you saw a problem in the world and you said, I'm going to help solve it. You've never needed to know how to move into larger scale gifts. You've never, you're great at, you know, an, an event, a grant application, things that are a little more transactional in nature, 
but haven't totally known the path to move into the bigger relationship-based fundraising activities because you've simply never needed to know how to do that in the past. You're bored. They're volunteers. They're experts at something else. They've never needed to know what are those activities that attract larger donors because that's what we need to be doing. And so, you know, all, a lot of content will tell us you do it this, you do it this, you post on Facebook, you do it this, and the money comes in. That's not strategic fundraising. That's not creating a model where we make sure we have a nice breadth of gifts at every size and we're really leading and attracting larger donors to give their best gift. So that third one is there's no real plan. So if like I'm in transactional zone, I'm getting foundations, I got my government funding, I've got my appeals, I've got my events. How do I move into relational fundraising? Like, I don't know what I don't know. Right. Mm -hmm. Those are the three I see. Those That combination is like flatline or slight, slight, slight uptick, but not where we want to be. Exactly. And so remember all of you, the 120 people that are joining us today, put your questions in the Q&A comments in the chat. I'm loving the energy in this chat. And you were, your friend Tim says, Sherry is wonderful oh, always. And I am always ready, willing, and able to assist and generous with her time and talents. Thanks Tim. Oh, and I love an good. amen. I'll take an amen in the chat. You know? Yes. It was like an amen was, was around <laughs> that overhead, that scarcity. Oh God. I was like, yeah, I was feeling that too. I talked about that yesterday Yeah, when I was talking about influence and all of that and how when you let go of the outcome, you're more likely to get what you want. So when you allow yes. somebody to make the decision that's best for them, instead of trying to push them. And, I, you know, but that's, that's rooted in abundance, which is, Hey, if right. it's not for you, no problem. I'll find someone that is, and this is, this is all in the same philosophy. And what I find interesting about you and me is like the, the things we do are completely different, yet right. it's grounded in the same, in, in the same kind of work. So tell me then, so how then do you move to, you know, now we understand why people are stuck. So how, what's the first step in getting unstuck? Yeah. I mean, I would say it really goes back to that really owning and looking in the mirror and saying, what do we need? And so I'm going to go back to budgeting just here for a second. Okay. Um, Because this, this is, this is a game changer. What do we need so that we can create a true funding model that actually supports the growth. And so, um, of course, you know, probably the second biggest or maybe first, you know, reason that people came to me in 2020 and frankly, maybe, maybe all along is that they've been too dependent on one fundraising source or one fundraising activity. And so knowing what your true need is and then saying, okay, how do we create a true step-by-step plan that actually fully funds our organization that is diverse that is rooted mostly in giving that comes from relationships, right? That I can pick up the phone and talk to somebody and not have to grow, go through an application process of 30, you know, 30 votes to get the yes. I want that too. But like the majority of your funding cannot be that restricted by application. Well, well, we submitted, we'll see if we get it. It's your, your funding model has to be rooted in relationships. Why? That's where our unrestricted giving comes from. That's where the gifts come that we can build our reserve. That's where the gifts come from that allow us to um, get as much money we can for overhead so we can then put back into the growth of the organization. A rule of thumb I always use from a starting point is I want your top 30 gifts 
yielding between 50 and 75% of your revenue every year. Okay. That's where we set our compass. And oftentimes in that top part, we're just doing grant proposals or we're just doing government proposals or we have a contract and we're landlocked. And then in the other 25%, oftentimes we're, we're, uh, you know, on that spin cycle of the events and the appeals and the, the, all the things, which again are important, but we can't put all our time in there. And so when so say that again, please, the top. Yeah. 30. So the top 30 yielded between 50 and 75% of your revenue. And so this, so this is, I'm, I'm just sharing my methodology today. Yeah. I start there so that then you can actually do your fundraising plan. Like if you don't know financially how you should lay out your year, like how do you know what activities to do per donor segment, right? That's where we see a lot of the mismatch of major donors giving $50 a month. Oh, I didn't know you needed that. You never asked me. I just get the emailer saying, you know, give it to me, right? Mm-hmm. And so it allows us to then actually, you know, I'm doing a spreadsheet in my hands right now to look <laughs> at what does that pacing look like per donor segment? It's our true um, path and plan really to, to hit that number. So I always tell people, if your budget is way more like handcuffs and like Ugh, the budget, you're approaching it wrong because it should be the freedom for you to understand what you need to do from an expense standpoint and an income standpoint. And then you know how to hit your number. So we're moving from transactional fundraising to relational fundraising. Mm-hmm. So what's the hesitation in that? What is the, like, why do people or why do um, nonprofits struggle to mm-hmm. move into relational fundraising? Yeah. Oftentimes I find that it's a, a mindset thing. Okay. You know, um, I find that, uh, well, I, I wouldn't know how to do that. I don't know those people. What would I say to them? Are they going to ask me scary questions? Oh, let's just actually do more grant proposals then, right? But, right. It's yeah, the it's, it's the fundraising without having to ask for money. Right. The appeals you, you and it. the events and all of that. You get to, we were talking with Patrick Kirby yesterday, we were talking about, like, I, I told him, like, either staying behind or going out front. Because he's talking about yeah. making calls and getting in front of people and the imperfect action, right? Love but it. in the safety of our desk and our computer, you know? So I see I that the mindset that. of that. Uh-huh. And so I think I find that a lot of fundraisers are trying to figure out, like, can I, or they want to be some version of themselves. Like I, I just said this to a client, I'll use her name. I said, you know, I just want Sarah to show up. I don't want some version of Sarah, the fundraiser to show up. Like I need you to be yourself. I need you to be able to share the need, share the problem you're solving, share how somebody's life changes as a result of their gift. And so often I see us getting in the way of actually uh, of people giving their best gift because Things like, oh, they can't get that money. We, we, I don't want to offend them. Uh, so let's just, you know, I know I know they gave 10 over there, but like, let's just ask them for five, right? We're making decisions for donors. Um, so we're going in already like, oh, I don't want to be pushy or I hate begging for money. I hate asking. Right, when burden. Uh-huh. It's the burden and you don't have to be that person. You know, you need to be able to articulate your need. You need to be able to, sit down, uh, be in relationship with people, right? That's the time aspect, right? That mm-hmm. might be another answer to your question. And to be in that CEO to CEO dialect, what is your need? How are you growing? How are you funded? 
open that conversation to what it would you know what the impact would look like. But we get in the way when we've decided like down the road that person's not going to give. And so it kind of we give up or then we're not actually leading that donor to a deep understanding of the financial need of the organization. And I find it like this, I always tell people this and it sounds so silly. Just because you're a nonprofit doesn't mean donors know you need money. What do I mean by that? What I mean is the average donor is kind of like, are you big or are you small? Are you like, do you need me to write a thousand dollar check or it's like, oh, oh, a 10,000. And I say that because there's only one person, the fundraiser, who can really share what the need of the organization is. But so often when somebody says, so what do you need? We get the, well, we we're hoping to, you know, we're hoping to hit that $3 million mark. We're hoping to do this. We'd like to do this please, as opposed, sir. yeah, please, sir, begging, yeah. right? That's the begging. <laughs> As opposed to, I'm so glad you asked. We have a $3.2 million need this year. Now, let me walk you through that. Right? Like, so you've got to know the numbers. You've got to go in. You've got to know your need. Back to my budgeting conversation. Um, you've got to sit at the table and confidently share what you need without you deciding the donor can't do it. Or you're going to, that, that's coming off pushy. Or because it's not that. If you've taken the time to build the relationship with the donor, it's a win-win. There's a natural comfort level and, and you, the ability for you to lead them to their best gift is, is solid. Yeah. So I want to share this because Deb put this in the, in the chat. Yeah. I love it. I've been working with all of my program managers to demonstrate what their program gaps are so we can actually tell how much we need to budget, finding we should be raising 250K more a year, but they never ask for it. Yeah, you nailed it. Mm -hmm. and a big culprit of this is oh, we have a government contract and, you know, it's say it's a million dollars a year, but it never, you know, it never, uh, we want to be serving more people. It's never allows us to have the staff to do X, Y, Z, or maybe follow up. So then we're budgeting. I talk a lot about budgeting. We're budgeting based on the contract we have versus what we really need. And so it's interesting how we, even with the program people, it's hard for them to think like, well, we don't have a contract. So how would I put that in the budget? But if you put it in the budget, you say, well, actually, we do need two full-time follow-up people, or we want to serve 15% more, put it in the budget. Let's see what that number is. Because then and only then can we actually create a fundraising plan and a financing plan to hit that number. If it's not in the budget, you're always going to be in, in scarcity zone, and you're never you're going to get scarce results, always, mm -hmm. always. Yeah. So I love that, Deb. Good great job kind of, kind of directing them to think a little visionary, like put it out there. I'm not talking triple the budget. I'm not talking, you know, you're a $1 million organization and like we need 10. I'm not saying that. But usually people are not raising to what they should be in the first place. Right. Yes. Um, yeah. Thanks, Clarissa. A reminder, put your questions in the Q&A and we'll get to them. Okay. So let's talk about moving from really that relationship fundraising. So how do you involve the board in this? What is their role mm. in relational fundraising? My favorite, maybe second favorite topic behind overhead. Um, <laughs> I just tee them up, girl. <laughs> you take them, you take them. So here's what I would say. The board, I'm going to back up. They're volunteers. 
They're experts at something else. They've also never done probably mid or major level gifts fundraising. Uh, when I do board trainings and I have people introduce themselves, it's amazing how many people say, hi, I'm Sherry, and I'm not asking for money. Like that's the board intro, right? I'm terrified of asking for money. I usually don't have board members ask for money. So they, they to try to loosen their shoulders a little bit. But here's what I would say. This is the best advice I would give anybody on this on this call. You have to educate yourself as the fundraiser, the leader, the, C, the CEO, executive director, how to do mid and major level gift work, how to build relationships, how to lead donors through cultivation and doing one-on-one -on -one solicitations. First, you need to equip yourself to learn how to do that, one. Two, then you need to do that to each one of your board members, you need to create a donor experience for each one of your board members. You need to show them how it's done. You need to cultivate them. You need to serve their mission for giving. You need to solicit them. Even if you have a give get, you gotta show them how it's done. You have to demystify the process for them. Otherwise, you're always gonna get the what are you going to do with my friends? What, what are you going to do if I give you a name? Well, I'll show you what I'm going to do. I'm going to actually knock it out of the park and have a great relationship and serve you. And it's going to feel good. And I'm going to solicit you. And it's going to be really well done. And it's not going to be pushy. And it's not going to be used car salesman. And I'm not going to be begging. And I'm going to show you how I'm going to ask for your best gift. And I find that that approach, as opposed to, can you give me five names? you connect me over here, gets way better results because they're terrified of like, don't make me ask for money. Well, guess what? That's one of about 60 steps that it takes to lead a donor to a large and gift. And it's actually really not asking. It's sort of, it's, I just tell people it's deciding together, right. you know, it's, it's, and I love what you're saying. So you're you're going to take them through the solicitation process. So they know exactly what's going to happen right. and how you'll serve others. So and and they get to witness that because if they don't know how you're going to approach people, they're not they're not going to be very willing to like to to do it. And at the end of the day, yesterday I talked about influence, and I said it's not it's not about pitching, pushing, selling, convincing. That's not how you do it. And because people want to buy, they don't want to be sold. So in this, like, this is what you're, you're helping them buy, right? right? Like right. making the best decision for them. And so modeling that process for board members, that's, that's genius. And so that they're comfortable. So now they know what's going to happen, right? And then, but it's not really their job to do, like you're saying, you don't have board members really manage this process. That's, that's, that's the, that's the fundraiser's job. Right. You know, to manage up. Right. And, and, right. and what, so, and so they're what, so what's their job then is to then be the advocates or connect you to the people. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a gazillion steps they can take, right. They're the, the introducers. They're the come along to that coffee with me. They're the, could you follow up and send that one research article? Um, could, could they be your special guest at the blah, blah um, thanking? I mean, there's, the percentage of board members who are comfortable with the ask and skilled, right? Because if, they, if you've never done it, then you don't know how to do it, you know? And so they get to play a supporting role, but here's like the, the level up going back to my financing plan and how we're going to hit the number. Here's why that's crucial. So back to my pyramid of my top 30 donors, 
you know, the donor experience you give to that, those top level donors is way different than you would give a person who's giving $100, right? That's a totally different donor journey. It's totally different activities. So if you haven't laid out your true financing plan and you haven't, the board doesn't understand how you're going to bring in the $4 million, it's very hard for you to lead the board all year long and say, I actually need you in the top part of this pyramid. You know, if you board member are going to give me one or two hours outside of your regularly scheduled meetings a month, it has to be on the activities that lead to the top part of the pyramid. It can't be, uh, I'll do a Facebook fundraiser, I'll collect auction items, I'll go get gift cards. It can't, like any committee member could do that or you know, junior board could do that. The board's activities have to be at the top part of the pyramid. And again, that's what we're talking about. That is how we scale. But they don't, they've seen their friend do a Facebook fundraiser or they've seen that, they've been to that one friend's event. So their default is, I'm going to do the activities at the bottom part of the pyramid. So they have to be taught what are the activities that actually yield the highest ROI. And I'm guessing that like, well, I feel like, you know, what people say, I want my board to raise money so they don't, they don't have to. Like, could you just do that for me, please? You have all the connections. (laughs) I mean, I saw this thing on, on, on Facebook the other day and like my board won't raise money in one of the Facebook groups, you know, and my board won't raise money. And like 290 something comments later, like, well, obviously we struck a nerve and there were so many comments back in, in what I didn't see was, have you talked to them about their hesitation and what role they really do want to play, you know? So it's like having those conversations with them, I think is so important. So your job is you're going to train the board how to navigate this top 30. That's their job. Right. 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 Okay. And the pipeline into it, like I'm saying 30, you know, we got a, we got a full pipeline into it, but you know, otherwise they're just going to default to, well, I don't want to do that. And I don't know those people. Guess what they do. We, mm-hmm. we all know major level donors, even though we all say we don't, we do, we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I always, the other thing I always tell people is the other way to get your board on this journey to, I think a greater commitment to the income is, you know, I'll always ask leaders like what, what role does your board play in, in budget approval every year? And I get, well, they approve it. They look at it. They, they have comments and then we kind of stamp it and go, I say, okay, Next year, when you have budget approval, so I want you to spend 50% of the time going through the expense side, right? Where you're growing, are we spending enough in admin uh, program and fundraising? Where are the growth areas? That's the expense side. Okay, check, approved. Okay, now we have to spend just as much time helping them understand how the money's gonna come into a balanced budget. And what I see is like, all of this time and, you know, going through the weeds on the expenses. And then it's like, all right, that's a stretch. Good luck with that. Like, as opposed to saying their job is fiduciary responsibility, having a balanced budget. So they don't get a pass in just approving the expense. They need to understand the annual plan month by month, what activities have to happen to reach that number. And so often Budgets come to me where it says we need $4 million and the income side says 3.2. Like, I don't know how we're going to do it. And so 
the board needs to be approving income and expense. And it's, I cannot stress to you how important the approaching the budgeting and the income is that sets your compass for the year. And the board doesn't just get to say expenses. They have to be bought into. And here's how we're bringing it in. Yeah. That's another way to really, it's healthy accountability, right? Mm-hmm. Are we doing the things as a team, not us and them, as a team, as co-pilots, are we doing the things that actually are starting to get us on a different, different funding trajectory? What do those activities look like? Set some metrics, right? Don't, they don't have to be scary metrics, but set some for each board member. So I have a, this is a question that Jane, like I'm feeling your pain right now. Like I, this is touching me because I just feel the frustration. My board members do not want to donate. They don't want to ask others. They are frozen. They're so frozen. I tell them I will do the ask. It's just, it's like, I just can't get them unstuck. And you're right. They want, you know, they want to do the bottom pyramid jobs. Mm-hmm. That's a toughie. Um, Sometimes I have to ask the hard question of, are they the right board members? Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, that's b- because if they're frozen, you can't get them unstuck, you know, and we don't have the opportunity to, I don't, I don't know, maybe if you've done this, to have a job description or a role description that they purely and clearly understand what the fundraising activities look like that they are actually committing to as a board member. You know, if, if they you've not sat down and walked through that with them before they even started, or they even said, yes, I will do that. I'm so excited to help you do that. If we haven't had that opportunity, then A, I would say I would have a heart to heart because that is part of their role. B, um, I would try to find one ally hopefully the board president who would help you craft a role description that actually clearly articulates what the expectations are from a fundraising perspective for board members every year. Yeah. Um, I want to add something to that answer. So like what I teach and coach people is like raising their standards. You know, mm -hmm. when I raise my standards for what I will and will not accept, the world just organizes around me. And so a lot of it is, you know, if I want people to show up differently, how can I show up differently? And that's yeah. kind of what you're talking about, like showing up in greater leadership by knowing your numbers, by, you know, by asking for what you need instead of what you think you can get, you know, that kind of thing. And so when you raise your standards for what you will and will not accept and then create boundaries to support those standards. Yeah. So, I mean, and I know it sounds like you were saying before, like it may sound really simplistic, but it starts there with like James right. is saying, you know what, enough of this, I deserve better. I'm not this, and 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 I swear you don't even have to say anything or do anything. All you have to do is just decide, yeah. and and people respond differently. And also, what you're giving them is the tools to have those conversations, so they can have, like, okay, you know, you they have the metrics, they have the data to pull out to like explain this new approach. It's amazing. Okay, so thank good, Marianne. I, thank you, Jane, for that. I got an, a couple other questions. We're gonna, we're gonna can we roll with some questions? Yeah, let's do it. I love I it. I like I like throwing the questions out as they come up. Savannah says my organization is putting together board expectations, which includes different ways to engage within the cultivation cycle. So she's got a cultivation cycle. Yay, Savannah. However, <laughs> our expectations will also 
uh, will also create a, will also a certain amount of money that they must give. Okay, so are their expectations include a certain amount of money that they must give? We have one great board member who has great insight and firsthand experience with our mission, but I don't believe she's in a capacity to give at a higher level. She gives at $25 a month. Do you recommend having this member involved more with raising a minimum amount of funds versus giving and more engaged in her cultivation cycle than others? I'm looking for ways to keep her within the board requirements that isn't just money focused. Right. Uh, So I love lots of things you're doing in there, Savannah. So high fives to that. Yes. So here's, here's the premise I work off of, whether we're talking board members or any single donor, any single volunteer in your whole organization. I want everybody giving their best gift. And I want them, I want us to lead them to give that gift every year. So if $25 a month is this board member's best gift, that is remarkable and amazing. And I want to serve him or her as such. If that, if you said, oh, but I think they're giving $5,000 over here, then we have some work to do. So I would, I would um, almost separate the, you know, if she can only give this much, should I have her uh, raise more or work on those types of things? Like, like you said, she, uh, or I think you said she, um, Mm -hmm. this great board member has the best insight and firsthand experience with our mission. Oh, that's amazing. What a voice can that person be in introductory coffees or coming alongside a tour, not knowing what your mission is, calling and saying, hey, I'm I'm Sherry and I'm a board member. And I was just made aware of this fantastic gift you gave. And I'm just personally calling to say thank you so much. I'm so excited to be reporting back to you what that how that gift is changing lives. Who better? to plug into those missional steps, right, in the cultivation journey. So I want all of them giving their best gift. And then I would kind of put that aside and then say, what are their strong suits? What part of the cultivation journey are they the best at? And I would plug them in there. Um, Because if if $25 a month is their best gift, that's amazing. Yeah. And this goes right in line with the um, diversity, equity, inclusion conversation we had with Tesha and Rachel about val- about you know valuing people not for the amount yes. you know but for their generosity yes right and so that and 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 because that amount and this is about like also DEIA issue of like when you have those a certain num- a certain amount of money they must give is that limiting who's on your board and I'm not saying it is or isn't but just having that conversation but yeah I mean she gives twenty five dollars a month like yeah I mean it, it's it, it's about that meaningful what's a meaningful gift right. to you what does that look like to you um, right and that can be different and as long as it's meaningful like like Tasha said if I I you know I I I have billions and I give you ten grand or I I give you a hundred dollars and I'm gonna miss a meal because of that right. right that's 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 generosity absolutely you know, so. you know sometimes people are uh shocked to find out like I don't I, I don't know I don't love a give get to be really honest with you um for everything you just said but oftentimes on the even on the top end um, it caps donors' gifts. Uh, I had a, a a client I'm coaching, and um, they were talking about this new board member, and they have a gift get. Um, I'm working on that, but they were telling me how they have a new board member, and that this board member said, uh, "Oh, good. I'm glad you guys only have a 5k gift get because the board I was on before has a 20k, and so okay, so you only need five. 
So that's a perfect example of on the top end, it's like, oh, so you don't need that? Well, of course we need $20,000 gifts, but like, so it just, there's many scenarios where a give get, you know, does not, you know, really just enhance that, like just, just generosity. We want you giving your most meaningful gift um, at either end. It really can get in the way often. Sometimes it's good for organizations, but sometimes it really is not working to their, to their benefit. Right. Because what you truly want is alignment. So I can't ask you to do something that I wouldn't be willing to do myself. Okay. So if I've, and so if I'm going to ask to, for you to invest in this organization, for me, the authenticity is the alignment is, well, I have to be, I wouldn't ask you to do something I wouldn't be willing to do myself. So I've invested in the organization, but in this model that you're sharing is when the donors or when the board members really aren't asking for money, right? So that can create a whole new way of how the give get works, right? I can stay in alignment, even if I'm a lower dollar giver, right? you know, but I'm opening doors to bigger dollar givers, but it's a meaningful gift to me. And that's, you know, and I'm asking, because you said this many times, their best gift, right? Yes. You want them yes. to give their best gift. So that's like the meaningful gift, right? And so you know, that's, that then opens the door for me as the board member, regardless of what I can give to be able to open doors or be part of that cultivation process. I'm right. still in alignment, right? Even right. Though, like without this, this minimum. So that, that makes a lot of sense to me. You said you're typing this, but do you have a suggested outline for the board member role? Is that something? You know what? Um, here's where I always start at a bridge span, just because they've, you know, got great templates and great, great starting spots. But I would be just, you know, don't be afraid to put in there, you know, the types of activities that you would want them to do, right? Like, here's some ideas. I would love for each one of your board members to be sharing, have a shared portfolio of two people. Like, start small, right? Are there two people that you, the executive director or development director and this board member are sitting down with every year? And you're actually charting out that cultivation plan. You're charting out that donor journey and, and talking about, well, yeah, they've, they've consistently given $5,000 every year, but I don't think it's their best gift. So sit down and chart it out. So I might include things like that just to, to frame up what are the activities you're talking about? Um, so I always start there and then you kind of build on it. But you know, modeling it. So, so start with the role description, but I'm going to tell you, you can't just do that. You've got to model it. You got to show them how it's done. I will tell people when I do board trainings, I'll be like, now I've told your ED, this is what they need to do. And I've told them they're going to come and ask you for money. So like your job is to accept that and learn from it. Sometimes they're like, Oh, gee, right. I'm afraid. But I'm going to tell you (laughs) nine times out of 10, it's like, that, that was that was pretty well done. Like that was pretty great. You know, show show them how you are going to thank when when their business partner or their friend writes a significant gift. Show them how you're going to thank them. Show them how you're going to make them feel good. These are all wonderful things. Show them how you're going to tell them what their gift did. Right, but you got to do that to your board member too. Right. Right. I love this. Just the modeling it for them, letting them live the experience. It's huge. That, yeah, it, it sounds huge. Okay, what else What else can we do? You know, what else can we do to, to increase that transactional fundraising? And any other questions you have, please put them in the Q&A. I think there's a question in the chat. Um, we struggled with how to engage top donors to agree to a meeting. 
most are not interested. We usually say thank you so much for giving to us. We'd like to get to know you better, learn why you gave and what your interests are. You know, what, what should we do differently? Yeah. So this is Lucy's love bus. I want to know what Lucy's love bus is. Please oh, tell me. <laughs> do you yeah, know that? Let's get on that bus. Yeah, I know. I, I want to be on a love bus. Um, I did this love bus in Jamaica where we went to all these tiny little out of the way Jamaican little bars. I don't think that's it. Yeah, is so, that you? Is that, is, are you in Jamaica? Yeah. <laughs> so we, but I see what you're saying. So they're, they're trying to open up these di- dialogues, right. but it's not really working. Yeah. So how okay. could they, what could they do differently? Okay. I could answer this in a couple different ways, but I'm going to try to give you some good advice here. So even with, we, we usually say thank you for like giving, uh, we'd like to get to know you, learn why you get, um, sometimes I find that that is like, I know you're not trying to sound, you're trying to make it sound like it's about them, but like, I feel like that tone donors see through. I'll be honest with you. Um, when I'm trying to move into more strategic conversations with donors, um, trying to move into those investment level conversations, I'll say like where we're actually, they're, they're in with your mission. They know the impact you're having. You've told stories, uh, like the heart and the programmatic stuff is taken care of. Sometimes that's next level is actually having more of that. Can I share with you how we're growing? I actually love to get your insight on like, you know, how we're growing, what this might look like. We're taking 20 minutes to share with people what that looks like over the next, over the next week. And so doing some mixing it up, I guess is what I'm, I'm getting to. And, um, and being able to think of like, how do I lead this donor to the next step? And so some of it is honestly how we're writing the email um, if it's this long, like, you know, we want to say thank you for the, it, it, sometimes I'll be like, can you give me three lines? Mm-hmm. Hey, Marianne, it's Sherry. Quick question for you. Wondering if you had 20 minutes on Friday morning, either the 18th or the 25th to hop on a Zoom so I could share with you what your gift's been doing. How's 10 a.m.? Oh, she wants to meet with us at 10. Like sometimes the mixing it up of like, can we just just talk human? Don't talk fundraising-y. Don't talk nonprofit-y. People are like, oh, 20 minutes? Okay, I guess so. And so sometimes I'll mix it up with, could I get 10 minutes? Could I? Could we hop on the phone Friday morning at 10? Sometimes I think these donors are like, Am I when I get on Zoom, is it going to be an hour-long conversation? Because I don't got that time, right? Or I'm a busy person. So try. I was, my advice would be try to mix it up try to think about what might be the reason that they don't want to get on the phone. And I would go back to like, what is that donor's interest, right? How can you serve their interests? Um, Because maybe them talking about, you know, we'd like to get to know you better and learn what your interests are. Like that's not customized to them is what I would say. Business people, the CFO, the, the CEO, um, I'll literally say, hey, we're, we're scaling our organization. I'd love to get some insight from you as a person who is who has successfully scaled their business. I know you're an expert at X, right? Seek their input, but keep that first one short. So they're like, okay, 15 minutes. Then your job is, did they like you? Were you, were you human? <laughs> I always say, did you, just, did you just have a conversation with them? Was it rooted in you serving them? 
meaning their missions. So that it's mission aligned, not not like the bad kind, but but really making sure that we've listened to them, but keep it short. And you know what? I'll, here's my best advice, maybe the best advice all day. If you've said 15 minutes on Zoom just to say thank you, set an alarm and let it go off and be like, I know I asked for 15 minutes. And so I want to be respectful of your time. Like show them that you're not going to take advantage of their time. They're busy people, right? Yeah. They're, and so things like that makes it look like you're not going to bug them all the time. And like that, those, those fears and like releases their shoulders a little bit to, oh, that was a really nice conversation with her. Oh yeah. I, I would get on the phone with her again. Right. You know, because otherwise it's, it's, it's just this kind of, yeah, I talked yesterday about when, when people get defensive, they, they go to back to their instinct, right? Yes. Fight or flight. And they're going to shut you down. And our goal is to have people work from the prefrontal cortex where thought, rational thought lives and new information comes in. And that is what we're doing. Like you're saying things to reassure them, you know, and, and, and owning like, okay, I would set my phone for 14 minutes. And when it goes off, I'd say, Hey, we got one minute left. Let's like, so let's good. wrap this up right? You're just, you're keeping your promise to them. I love what you said about like, and also opening your, there's a lot of assumptions in that sentence. It's like, I'd love to meet with you. What's Friday at 10 AM look like? Like, let's assume that it's all good. And they're going to want to meet from me rather than would you meet with me? Yes or no. Like just assume that. And um, Lucy, I don't know if you heard my talk yesterday, but what I would add is I use the word open because people don't want to think of themselves as closed. Mm -hmm. So like, would you be open to a conversation? Um, If uh, I would love, if you're open to it, I would love to have, and people almost always say yes, because if they say no, their brain says you're not closed, like, no, wait. So they'll say yes, because they don't want to see themselves as closed. We all, we all do that's a universal thing. And Lucy's love bus, she said they offer integrative therapies, yoga, massage, therapeutic horseback riding for children with cancer. Amazing. That is amazing work. I, I, <laughs> I, I want to like, you know, <laughs> yes, they, they need to talk to you. That's amazing work. I, I hope that helps you get some ideas, maybe how to reframe your approach yes. a little bit. All right. If we have any other questions, um, thank you so much for that great advice. She said, there you go. Um, so what are there, anything else you want to share with, with the group here? With the whole group, you know, I, I guess I'm going to say, go for it. I keep telling everybody, you know, don't waste that crisis that we just are. Some some of our states are coming out of it. Mm. Um, this is the time when, you know, lean into the risk, the because it's a risky feeling, but it's not really risky. You're growing your organizations, so I just I never more have encouraged people lean into it, lean into doing things differently, lean into those risky feelings that. Gosh, they always pay off. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my advice for people coming out of this. We can't we can't go back to those misconceptions where we started talking at the top of the hour. Um, but to do that, we need we need you as leaders to act differently. Bring donors to an understanding. Educate donors. Great question. I get that a lot. Now, here's actually what that what reality is. Overhead is good. When I spend overhead, I can put more money into programs in about twelve months. Like, so you got, you got to be an educator as a fundraiser, as an ED. And so welcome the tough questions, welcome them because it's yeah. giving that donor clarity and it's, it's, it's helping them see you as the expert. 
and, and reducing any question they might have in their mind that would keep them from giving their best gift. Yeah, because what you said it made so much sense. It's like, okay, we want a different result, but we want to do everything the same, right? Yeah. But we want we want a different result. Like, yeah. you, like if you want a different result, you have to lean right. into that uncomfortable feeling. So my dear friend Paula, I I just I don't know. They, the universe just sends me people, and Aww. and like and some of them just jump into my heart. And Paula is one of them. She said, "How does a new small organization establish those relationships?" Through everybody you know. First, so turn off the, I got to find the money. I got to find the donors. I got to find it. I want you to put that over there. And I want you to start educating the most connected people, you know, in your circle about what you do and what your need is. They will lead you to the money. Mm -hmm. So you got to, you got to put the mindset or the hat on of, I need to attract donors by how I'm educating and how I'm clearly articulating the need of the organization. If you go into, I got to find the money, I got to find the donor, I'm on the hunt. They can feel that. They They can can feel, feel, I know they can feel it. I I told energy is everything. You guys remember this is completely validating my, my talk yesterday. (laughs) Energy is everything. And when you go in with desperation, they're going to smell it and they're, they're going to shut it down. Um, so I, this is Deb said the great thing. I would literally love to see how people are doing this year. We are a social service agency. We are pacing way ahead of budget. And I think that is a very, Oh, nonprofits are hurting, blah, blah. blah. I, I don't think that's true. And all, and a lot of people that I talk with, like, they'll be like, I don't want to say anything, but we're actually doing really good. Like say it, scream it. It's okay. Like own it. hundred percent. Own it. Donors want to give to forward propelling missions. Yes. Uh, one of my clients received one of the McKinsey Scott, you know, uh, investments that she made and, and it caused more people to give to them. It's right. millions of dollars. Right. And what did it do? Inspired other people to say, they're killing it over there. I'm like, they must be doing, I, I, yeah, they must be doing something right. Where you, where you would maybe think, oh, we're going to get this big right now. No one's going to give to us because right. we already have all the money. Opposite. Yeah. Don't, yeah. don't believe those lies. Don't believe those lies. It is. And I would love for people in the chat, then, you know, in the chat, just like, how are you doing? I think Deb asks a great question. How are you doing this year? How are you pacing? I mean, it's April. We're through the first quarter um, right. for those of you who are on, you know, the, the calendar fiscal year, but how are you pacing? Cause I think that, I think people are incredibly generous. And yeah. I think that, yeah, she said, Christina said she doubled, we doubled revenue this year. Right there. You know, there, there she, yeah. Well, and Christina's just, she's, um, you know, it does. Yeah. Great to pull it over the break. Yeah. Maybe I'll do. Thank you. God, Deb. Love that. My, like, they, they, they take some good Deb, security. what a great idea. <laughs> yeah. So um, Sherry, this has been incredible. And Clarissa is going to put the link to Sherry's free gift, the problem with traditional nonprofit fundraising and what to do instead. Um, this That's is a white paper. It's a white it. paper. Get, get her white paper. I love this stuff because this is such great things for you to share with other people, right. To, 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 to open up this conversation. This has been incredible. And I, what, what great interaction we had from everyone. I just, I learned so much. I, I know give, please give Sherry some love in the chat. I know um, some Thank of you, you have already, but just let her know, you know, how wonderful this was. This, this was fantastic. I love what you said about modeling for the board, you know, showing them how it's done really, you know, they don't have to, you know, solidifying what their, what their, um, <laughs> yeah, what, you know, what their roles are. Right. And it's about that budgeting. It all goes back oh, to the budget. 
It all, all goes back to the budget. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know how I became the person talking about uh, budgeting all day <laughs> long, but I'm going to tell you, if you take this budgeting information to heart, you will raise more money. It, it's, it's fantastic. So people are saying they're looking forward to implementing great content. Thank you Thank for you. showing the way to engage the board. This, this was truly exceptional. Make sure you download that white paper with the link in the chat and um, you'll get a, an email from me with all of the links from all of the speakers with their different gifts that they're sharing. So Sherry, thank you. It's always such a joy. I appreciate you. And I, I appreciate how you work with people. And, you know, I want to say that, you know, as a person who's, whose work has been in messaging and branding, you know, who you serve, you know, how you serve them and you articulate that. So in incredibly well. Thank you. So that's from a girl who wrote a book about branding. So (laughs) I I love what I do. So I, it's easy. I guess it comes a little easier and it completely comes across and just really quick, just share how you work with organizations. Cause I think it's, it's a really cool model. Yeah. Well, I mean, I help organizations kind of put in place what I shared today. Um, I help them really establish their path to growth especially those unrestricted gifts for overhead. That is that is where I work. And then I help fundraisers learn what they need to be doing so they can move into that top 30. And top you do like model. 90 day, you do like a 90 yeah. day thing. So you do one on one with organizations for 90 days, right? I do. That's my uh-huh. first, that's where I start. And so I do that one-on-one with, with leaders. And then I also, for larger organizations, I teach that in, in teams where they might have, uh, you know, 12 fundraisers and I, and I teach them that process. And so, um, yeah, hop on my website and, uh, and check it out. All right. Thank you so much. It was an incredible experience. I appreciate you. All right. Take care. Talk to you soon. All right. And uh, Jane, ask a question. This is a great question. All of the conversations and gifts. So the VIP package that has included the things on the sheet, but the the gifts that the speakers are giving, those are separate. So just grab those when they come in. And also um, there'll be an email going out, I think tonight, Clarissa, with all of the speakers and the links to their different gifts so that you can make sure you grab them. If you haven't already, but you should just do it now so you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, but it goes out tonight with all the links and the key points. So as I'm listening right now, I'm sort of, I'm sort of encapsulating these key points and I'll add them to an email that'll go out tonight and I'll have all the links to the speakers so you can grab that. And that is separate from the VIP thing, which includes my superstar fundraising marketing planning guide. So you can create a marketing plan to attract new donors. The two hour workshop with me to integrate all this content, my book and um, a few other goodies. Uh, there's so many good things in there. Oh, and, 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 and a limited number. And I'm not sure how many are there. I'll have to, I'm going to count over the break of conversations. You can book a one-on-one with me as well in, in that. And I, I'm looking forward to meeting so many people one-on-one. I love this format. I love hosting so many people. And I also love connecting and seeing people's faces. So I'm excited to get to do that on the back end of this. All right, it is break time. And then my buddy, Stephen Shaddock is going to come and talk about mining some donors out of the database you've already had. If you don't know Stephen, he's the chief engagement officer of Bloomerang, which is a donor database company out of Indianapolis. And he is going to be here to share it with us. So take a break, get up, walk around, shake it off, and we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. And thank you, Sherry. (laughs) You bet. Thank you. Have a great rest of your your conference and hi to Stephen on my way out. (laughs) 
Thanks for listening to The Influential Nonprofit with your host, Marianne Dirsch. If you enjoyed the show, please tell your friends and colleagues about the podcast. Also, check out theinfluentialnonprofit.com for more resources on growing your influence so you can raise more and do more.